is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you out there. Yes, and uh, make sure you you tell your father Happy Father's Day. Yes, um, it's well documented um, how my father has influenced my life uh, in a in a major and great way unto the Lord. It was his turning to the Lord um, that brought about. Um, Our families turn to the Lord and His humility in understanding and responding to the gospel that ultimately led me to know the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was wanting to give our fathers some sort of Father's Day treat this morning. Um, my, my, My wife said, are you doing something funny for Father's Day I don't have anything funny, um, but I was looking for a top 10 list of ways to, of fathers to share the gospel with their children. And so what you normally do, uh, if you're looking for something and trying to get some creative ideas, you Google it. And I was Googling how to share the gospel with your children, top 10 ways fathers share the gospel with their children, um, And I'll tell you what came up. Um, You can share the gospel with your children by opening the Bible and reading the gospel to them. Creative ways to share the gospel with your children and read a book or use the Evangicube. Share your testimony. But that's not really what I was after. I was not after a knowledge-based learning of the gospel of fathers teaching their children That Jesus died and was buried and he rose again. Any father can do that. I was after the top ten ways fathers share the gospel with their children. Meaning how their kids can experience Jesus Christ. And develop a desire to know this God. And follow Christ. Through fatherhood. And so I had to make up my own ways because there's no, there's no Google to help. So this is what I have. This is the best I have. But number one is fathers can share the gospel with their children is to love their wife. You see the picture of Christ and the church is the gospel. And your children can see Christ in you By how you love your wife. Number two, parents can share the gospel. Fathers can share the gospel with their children by disciplining their children. Knowing our heavenly father hates sin and showing them there are consequences to sin. Gives our children an opportunity to understand the gospel deeply Because we know the depth of God's love for us by Jesus taking the deserved punishment for our sins upon the cross. Love your wife. Discipline your children. Number three, a way a father can show the gospel to their child is say that I messed up. When you sin, You show your need for Jesus and model that, turning to the grace of God. And as 
your child at an early age understand the grace of God in you, fathers who are not perfect. Number four, children can learn the gospel and you're showing the gospel when you forgive your spouse and your children when they have wronged you. When you forgive and hold no grudges toward them for their wrongdoing, you show them that even as they are deserving of retaliation, you gladly sacrifice for them and take the punishment because that is exactly what Christ did. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number five, we work as though working for the Lord, enjoying our work not as our God, but for our God as a father, using our gifts and talents for his glory. When our children see our work is not for ourselves, they see the living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual worship in response to the grace that God has shown to us. Number six, we show the gospel to our children when we find not only mercy, but grace for our children. Mercy, again, holds back the punishment that they deserve, but grace lavishes gifts upon our children even when they don't deserve it. When we as fathers find ways to unexpectedly show favor to our children, we show how much God has lavished his good gifts upon us as his wayward people. Number seven, declare God's glory in his creation to your children. The heavens declare the glory of God, and when we stop and smell the roses and we declare the goodness of God and his creation in heaven We know the character and nature of God, the goodness of God, and that he would be willing to lay down his life for us. Number eight, be grateful and thankful for your children. Gratefulness and thanksgiving are hallmarks of a man who understands the depth of God's love for him and his life is filled with a grateful and thankful heart for the cross of Christ and his freedom from sin. Number nine, men, we show the gospel to our children when we face trials with joy. We know the trial is producing in you a steadfastness of faith in the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who endured the cross despising the shame, your kids will see you and say, that is a man who believes Jesus is in control in each and every situation they find themselves in their life. And number 10, the way that your children can see the gospel in you fathers is if you give generously. You give generously of your money, your time, your strength, your service to your children, but also to others as your children will see and say, what a great God we serve who gave us so much that he might give his life upon the cross for us. Love your wife, discipline your children, say I messed up, work as though working for the Lord. Find not only mercy but grace for your children. Forgive your spouse and your children when they have wronged you 
Declare God's glory and his creation to your children. Be grateful and thankful for everything that you have been given, but especially your children. Face trials with joy and give generously. And I have a bonus one for you just in case I didn't think about this too much. Don't do it to be a good dad. Don't do these things to be a good dad. I'm always hesitant to give you top 10 lists because you think that if you do these things, then you, God will be pleased with you and that you do this to check your boxes. Don't do these things to be a good dad. Do it because you love the Lord and a result of your love as a result of your love for Christ and the goodness and the grace of your God and your children will see that. Because you love God, he loved you first. And it really comes out of overflow of the heart. So that's my Father's Day gift to you this week. I hope that you cherish those things as it's not just for fathers, it can be seen as the church as well. Oh, how I love the minor prophets. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. It's not easy to preach from the minor prophets, but it speaks to our day and our time and our age. In a world in which we need the word of God, the word of God speaks not only to the generations before us, but to the generation of today. Oh Lord, may we as your people at Northwest long for your word even when it is hard to hear. Well, we have heard from Hosea as a God has shown himself faithful in the midst of our unfaithfulness. We've seen in Joel that he's willing, that this God is willing to send locust plagues upon his own people to devour what they have so that they will return to the Lord and he can restore them to himself. He has shown us that worship without action is meaningless and no true worship at all through the prophet Amos And last week in Obadiah, we saw that God is still good even when we cannot see it. And he is making all things right. And we return to the book of Jonah. If you were here with us in the summer of 2020, that was height pandemic summer. We went through the book of Jonah and we renamed Jonah No Go Jonah, right? And we peached through this whole book in, the, in 2020, but we return today as God has a word for us this morning in the book of Jonah. We have a saying in our, our household, and it goes like this. I don't want a hash brown, okay? And that was the saying after one of our precious children decided that he didn't like the food that we had paid for, for him. And instead of enjoying the meal that his father had provided for him, the phrase, I don't want a hash brown, was born. And in the same way, Jonah, 
like Israel has rejected the idea of God raising up the nation of Israel to declare his name throughout the earth. Exodus 9:16 when he is raising up Israel from bondage in Egypt he says but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth and Jonah a prophet of God a prophet of Israel, whom God has placed his name upon, is called to go to the wicked people of Assyria, the wicked capital of Nineveh, and pronounce the word of the Lord to them, to pronounce God's judgment that is coming upon the nation of Assyria. This is verse 1 in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But no-go Jonah decides he's not going to go. He decides that he's going to go in the opposite direction, away from the presence of the Lord, down to Joppa. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Then he goes down into the belly of the ship, Asleep, but God is not going to let go of his people. He will not let go of Jonah. Why? Because he loves him. Do you know how much God loves you? That he would be willing to pursue you even in your rebellion. He pursues Jonah by sending a storm. And all the sailors of this ship that Jonah is on, they're up on the ship worried for their life. They're praying to their gods, their Saying, how can we get out of this storm? We're going to die. They wake Jonah up in the belly of the ship. And Jonah tells them about the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah realizes that this storm is because of him. And he asks the sailors, throw me overboard and you can be saved. And so Jonah is thrown overboard as sailors are reluctant to do this, but they do it and they're thrown in him down again into the sea. Verse 15 of chapter 1. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased 
from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These are pagan, idolater sailors who are making vows and sacrificing to the Lord. Jonah, the prophet, the one who has the word of the Lord going against God. But that's not the end of the story. God continues to pursue his wayward people as they would be a light to the nations. You see, the struggle for Jonah and the struggle for us is real. It may be real for you today. The struggle is certainly real for the person who does not believe in God, who is in a storm in their life trying all kinds of things to try to get out of that storm. But it's also real for the people of God who are running from the Lord and what he's called you to do. And he's coming for you because he loves you. Oh Lord, wake us up to the reality of our sin. Help us to understand your love for us. May you turn, may we turn to you and be used for your glory. I've entitled this sermon, Turning to God's Love. Let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. At Northwest we stand in honor of reading God's word. If you'll stand with me as this has the power of God in it as it's from his word. He speaks to us and we are transformed by understanding what he says according to his word. Chapter 1 verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounding me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I'm sorry, I've lost my place. I'm driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out 
upon the dry land. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Help us to be people who see your love for us displayed upon the cross of Christ. That you would go down, down, down into the belly of Sheol for us. That you would die upon the cross. That you would empty yourself and become nothing so that we could be raised together with you in new life. Lord, as you gave Jonah new life, Father, breathe new life into our spirit, into our souls as the church, the people of God, as we call out to you, the only one that can rescue and save us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this story of your great grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things as a father that uh, keeps me up at night, and I certainly know that it keeps you up if you have the responsibility of taking care of your family and your children, is the ability to provide for your family. Um, One story of a father um, searching and trying to provide for his children is in the movie uh, Cinderella Man, which takes place in the late 1920s in which a, a boxer named James J. Braddock is a successful boxer. But in, of course in the 1920s, everything, the roaring 20s, everything is going well. And everybody who has money during that time places it in the stock market. And then the 1930s come and the Great Depression hits. And he loses everything that he's worked for his whole life. There's one scene in the movie in which Braddock has all his kids and his wife and his family. And they're huddled up in the corner of their basement apartment trying to stay warm. Because the electricity has been shut off in their apartments. And they don't have any food to eat. And James goes to the shipyards to work, but he's refused because he has an injured arm. He can't box, he's too old, he's out of shape. He can't get any work, he can't feed his family. And then what seems like happenstance, he gets a boxing match and he wins. And overcoming all the odds, past his prime, out of shape, he wins again and he wins again. And against all odds, he gets a shot at the heavyweight champion of the world, Max Bear. And having no shot to win and even... A possibility of losing his life as the movie shows that Max Bear is a vicious man. Cinderella Man overcomes and he wins the heavyweight championship of the world. He is victorious. 
And he goes from not being able to feed his family to the heavyweight champion of the world. You see, this this unexpected victory over the world and the prince of the world is what the gospel is all about. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, walking around without hope, stuck in a spiral of darkness, destruction, like Jonah, when at some point in our life we heard about the steadfast love of God and what he did for us on the cross, and our soul and our being was stirred by God through the Holy Spirit, and our response was faith. Not a shallow faith, but a faith producing a spiritual birth and giving us a new life. One with hope, one with love, a love for God and a love for people. Overcoming the system of evil through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Amen? We were raised from the pit and brought back to life. You see, Jonah's story is our story Jonah's story, the people of God, is me, is you. In Jonah's case, he's in his day of distress, and he calls out to the Lord from the bottom of the sea, and God hears him. You see, God's pursuit of Jonah is a beautiful pursuit. Many people that read this story say, I don't want to be swallowed by a whale, therefore I will obey. But it's not about Jonah's inability to obey. The story is about God's steadfast love for his people. Let's look at it together. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, who appointed the fish. It was the Lord himself. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. This is This is our first point this morning. It's thus, God pursues his wayward people. God pursues his wayward people. You see, the fish was never meant to be God's judgment. The fish was actually God's grace. God's judgment would have been leaving Jonah where he was. On the waters of chaos that surrounded his life, nowhere to go but to die. But God knew that he needed to go lower in his life. He knew he needed it to get worse for Jonah in order For him to call out to the Lord. You see the fish brought Jonah all the way down to the bottom. To the depth of the ocean and that was the grace of God. 
it's reported in a fish like this that it is 108 to 115 degrees inside the belly of a fish like this. Jonah was experiencing what it would be like in hell, the heat against his body. While he is pushed up against the sides of a fish, he can't move his arms. The gastric juices are washing over his skin, bleaching his skin. And I'm sure that it smelled real good in there, probably like honeysuckle and peach spritz candle from Bath and Body Works. And God, in his grace, is pursuing Jonah. He's calling Jonah to align his heart with God's own heart. All the way through the book, what God is doing, he's calling the prophet to love his enemy like he does. The Ninevites. God is saying to Jonah through the story of the fish and going down to the depths of the sea, I came to save the nations and you won't go to them. Why not? I'm going after you, brother. God is in pursuit of Jonah, his prophet, and he is in pursuit of you, his church. Guess what? When we wallow in sin and idolatry, we tend to sink lower and lower into ourself and our problems. Notice, Jonah, the, the book is, is a literary device. It shows us the depth of Jonah's sin. It says he goes down to Joppa. He goes down in the belly of the ship where he falls asleep in the middle of the storm. Then he goes down into the waters. Then he goes down into the belly of the fish. Then he goes down to the depth of the ocean where God can raise him up. Sometimes God must bring us down so that we can go up. Amen? When Jonah goes into the belly of the ship, he falls asleep in the middle of the storm. He doesn't care what's going on around him. He just wants to sink into nothingness, going nowhere, doing nothing. Form of escape for him to fall asleep. He, he, he's what some would call in our day and age, depressed. Dwayne and Deanna Hunt, two of our members here, have been counselors. They travel all over the world teaching on the family and marriage. And I was reading some of their stuff this week. And they define depression as an emotion created and given to us by God to express feelings and reactions of sadness and losses, disappointments and problems in our lives. Therefore, normal depression is actually not sinful. It does become sin in our lives when it is extended longer than necessary and becomes a destructive factor in our own life. So Jonah is in depression. Why? Well, it seems to be because God has called him to do something. 
to declare the word of the Lord to a wicked people in need of hearing it, and yet he has chosen his own way. Mm. Rejecting God's path, and now he's in a world of chaos. Mm. You know, anytime we really reject God's call in our life, it's going to be hard for us. Mm. But God has not abandoned you, my friend, and this is the story of Jonah. Wherever you are, whatever you are walking through, our God has not abandoned us. Look at verse one, and the Lord appointed a great fish. I'm sorry, that's not verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Only after he's been there three days and three nights, then does he pray. What a stubborn man, amen? I think if I was 15 seconds in the belly of a fish, I would probably be in pure panic mode, crying out to God, who I'm a prophet of, to save me, don't you think? Knowing the word of the Lord, would he not cry out to the Lord? No, let's spend three days and three nights, then we'll cry out to the Lord for for God to save me. No, go Jonah becomes go Jonah. But God loves him too much. He won't let go of his people. He loves them. He loves them too much, even when they disobey what he's called them to do. Look at verse two, saying, I called out, this is Jonah now, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Amen. This is number two. Point number two this morning. The Lord answers our call. The Lord answers our call. Some say that this desperate cry out to the Lord is not necessarily a good thing. And sometimes I would agree with them because We're really to walk with our God continuously. We're not to wait until a one moment in time distress call, a 911 call to the Lord and say, save me because I'm in the belly of the whale and the bottom of the ocean, save me. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes, church. And if you're in the bottom of the 
of the ocean or you're at the top of the ocean swimming around or you're in the, you're in the, in the, in the ship asleep or you're, you're at Tarshish trying to make a decision if you're going to follow the Lord or not, whatever it is, know this, the Lord answers when you call. The Lord has, hears his people and responds to them in the depths of distress. You know, one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings, as people, is to say, I need help. Mm. To say, I can't do it. You know, the Lord actually wants us to call upon him. Jonah's turned his back on the Lord and the Lord waits for his call. The Lord is is the prodigal father awaiting for his son to return. He sits watching, waiting, so he can run to him. You you may be drowning in in the waves of this life. Your addiction, your marriage, your debt, your secret sins, your job performance, whatever it is you've chosen, God is waiting upon you to call out to him. You know, this, this calling out to the Lord all, goes all the way back to Genesis. You know, Cain and Abel have this struggle where Cain kills Abel. And then we have to have Seth, the third line, the line of the righteous, because Cain's line will be wicked. The Seth's line will be the the righteous line, the one who will come from the seed of the woman to crush the serpent. It will come from Seth. In Genesis 4, 26, it says this, to Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. And it says this little phrase, at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham does the same thing. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. The idea is that God's people call upon their God. Isn't that an interesting idea? That we, and, and, this, and this, this, both of these have this understanding that it's this public call, this, this corporate call. In Seth's instance, he had his son named Egypt. And these, these people began to call, they, this corporate call, this corporate gathering to call on the name of the Lord. Their need for God. It, 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 this is what we do as the church. We gather together to call upon the name of the Lord as our God. We put his name upon his people and say, we are God's people, his church. 
through songs or hearing the word, prayer, thanksgiving. We are jointly the body of Christ saying we need the Lord in our life today. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul equates this understanding of the calling on the name of the Lord to the church. Now in verse 4, Jonah feels as if he's being driven from this presence of God. Driven down into the depths. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look Upon your holy temple. Yet God is right there. Even in the depths of his sin. and the depths of his rebellion. God has not abandoned him. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple. So Jonah feels like he is, he is driven away from God because of his sin. And yet when he calls out to the Lord through prayer, it enters into the very presence of God into his temple. Isn't that interesting? We now have access into the holy of holies, the very presence of God through prayer, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the sign of Jonah. Jesus, the Son of God, going down to Jerusalem, lowering himself to be a suffering servant, laying himself upon the cross and eventually being lowered from that cross and entering into the tomb only to rise again three days later. Amen? It is the sign which we see the gospel. Like the people of Nineveh saw the sign of Jonah the people of the nations see the sign of Christ and his resurrection and they call out to the name of the Lord. Matthew twelve forty. For just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Amen? What we learned a few weeks ago in Joel was everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Both nation of Nineveh, Assyria, and Jonah, Israel, will be saved if they call out to the Lord. 
And then you come to verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. (laughs) Now Jonah will learn in chapters 3 and 4 that he's not quite the heart of God yet, right? But he's getting there. He's trying. He understands some truth. He understands that you cannot have idolatry and the Lord. It doesn't go together. You cannot worship other gods and the Lord God Almighty. You forfeit the steadfast love of God when you worship idols. This is point number three. God's people declare salvation belongs to the Lord and he alone The salvation belong. That verse 8 right there, that is the key verse in the book of Jonah. There are 24 verses before it, 23 verses after it. It's a central text of understanding. You got the idols, which is pointing to earlier in chapter 1 with the sailors who break out their idols in the midst of the storm and then they sacrifice to the Lord themselves. And then you got the pagan idolaters in which uh, Scott read to you in chapter 3 after this in which they humble themselves through the king of Assyria and give repentance to the Lord alone calling out to their God. The, The word here for steadfast love, we've seen that throughout the minor prophets. It's the word hesed in the Hebrew. It means the covenantal love of God. The NIV translates this verse, those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And Jonah does something here Because of the word steadfast love, he's talking about his own people. You think that he might be talking about only the sailors, the pagan idolaters, but he's talking about himself. Because he uses the covenantal love word that he himself is a part of. You see, he understands that idolatry is the source of his own sin. He thought it would be better to disobey God, hold on to the things that he loved, that he wanted, than than to obey God and to hold on to God. He valued what he loved more than he valued God, and thus he became an idolater. And it realizes that it has kept him from the one great source of life and fulfillment of peace and joy. And that's God himself. 
Church, don't forsake the steadfast love of God for your idols. Now, what happens next is shocking because we're talking about the sanctification of Jonah. Jonah declares that salvation belongs to the Lord. He obeys. He goes to Nineveh. And what God does is what he just did to Jonah. He saves Nineveh because of their repentance. Because they call out to God, Nineveh, this wicked city, they are saved. Just as Jonah in the belly of the whale called out to God and are saved. And Jonah is not pleased. This is why he tells God, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place. Because I knew that you were a loving God. Look what he says in in verse 10. When God saw, in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Look at verse 1. But he, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah's still struggling. You know what? We may have times in our life where we're still struggling. Even after we've seen God do miraculous things in our life, even after God has taken us from the miry pits of destruction, he's put us on the path of righteousness, and we're glorifying the Lord as, as we walk in this road. And guess what? We're still struggling. And yet God is still sanctifying us. He's pursuing us. He's causing us to look and act like Christ and he's doing it in different ways. He's exposing us before one another. Jonah is exposed here. You see, God wants a different type of obedience from his people. Not the obedience because we'll be swallowed by a whale if we don't obey If I don't go to church, God's going to strike me down. That's not what he's after. He wants a heart that loves as he loves. I want to go to church because I want to worship my God. I want to give because God has given to me. I don't want to check a box and say I did that. I want to share the gospel Because my God saved me from the pit of destruction. And I want to share his love with that person who is struggling in their sin. So many times when we share the gospel, we're like, I want this person to be saved so I can go and tell my community group, I shared the gospel and I saved this person. No, he wants us to go and share the gospel so that that person can have life and glorify his name. 
He wants to transform our heart for why we do what we do. Not just that we do it. And the whole book is showing us Israel's need and our need for a greater Jonah. One that will love the nations as God loved the nations. One who will lay down his life for his enemies. And idolatrous people. And those idolatrous nations will call on the name of the Lord to be saved through him. We need a savior who will go down to the depths of the grave because we have run from the Lord in our sin only for God to bring us up with him because of his steadfast love for us. Oh God, let us see your love and respond to your love. Help us to see the beauty of the steadfast love of God through the prophet Jonah and the sign of Jonah. The cross, the burial, and the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your people as we love today, as we encourage our fathers today. Help us to be a people that remind us of your love. That we're reminded of the story of Jonah and help us, Father, to respond in action. Not only just actions, but heart actions in which we love with your kind of love. And Father, as you expose our sins before one another, as you expose us before people, help us to encourage one another to walk as you have walked with us. Help us as fathers to share the gospel with our children through even our mistakes that they may see the love of God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna respond and stand, if you will, and respond in worship as we're reminded of God's love for us.